0: Hello again, Fight Fans. Michael Montero for Boxing Monthly. Welcome to episode number 98 of The Neutral Corner. We were out for a week, but man, it feels like we were out for a month. I don't know. I'm so used to getting in here every Monday and talking boxing. If if I skip a week, it just feels like an eternity. But um, gone for a week, so we got a lot to catch up on. My family came out to town to visit. If you guys saw the rant video I posted Uh, Sunday then you know I I talked a little bit about just taking a little vacation and yeah I've taken a few vacations this year but almost all of my quote-unquote vacations when I leave LA is boxing related I'm either going out to cover a fight or to talk to people check out a gym interview somebody whatever so uh, this time and this was the first time this year instead of us leaving LA, my family came out here from the East Coast and we got out of LA and just checked out a little bit of Southern California. There's so much to offer around here within a couple hours drive. And um, Tiffany and myself, we've checked a lot of it out, but my family hasn't seen a lot of it. So it was fun to show them some stuff. But as I said, a lot of news and notes to catch up on, a lot of fights to review. We're gonna split this episode into two parts. News and notes and review will be the first part, and then a couple days from now we'll release the preview where we talk about what's coming up this weekend. So let's get into news and notes. Big news of the day, this guy right here, Anthony Joshua. His mandatory fight with Kubrat Pulev is off, but don't fear, there is a replacement. Uh, The next available highest rated contender in the IBF, Carlos Takam, has been put in as the replacement. So this card for October 28th is going ahead. And really, if you think about it, you know, Joshua's only fought once this year. Career-defining fight against Vladimir Klitschko uh, probably won't have a fight as big as that in the rest of his career. I mean, maybe if a Deontay Wilder fight happens, but nobody's putting Deontay Wilder in the same regard as Vladimir Klitschko. If Joshua only fought once this year, it would have been a real letdown, a real disaster. And apparently over 70,000 tickets have already been sold for this October 28 card. So yeah, you knew that Eddie Harden was gonna find a way to keep this thing going. Kubrat Pulev was uh, pulled out because he had an injured right shoulder. Apparently it had been injured for a while, but they didn't tell anybody about it because they wanted to see if he could work through it and heal up in time for the fight. But ultimately his team decided that wasn't gonna go. So now Carlos Takem is in place. For Pulev. And a lot of people are upset about this. I actually think it's still an interesting fight. Pulev, Takem, a little different. If they fought head-to-head, I'd favor Pulev to win. But in terms of styles, remember guys, styles make fights. I think that Pulev versus Joshua would have been pretty exciting bombs away for two or three, maybe four rounds until one of them got knocked out. Probably Pulev. Pulev has the size and the strength to reach Joshua and possibly hurt him and possibly wobble him. That's what would have made that fight somewhat interesting for me. A lot of people weren't that interested in that fight. I kind of was. I wanted to see what Pulev would bring against Joshua and more importantly, what Joshua would do to a guy like Pulev. But now here with Carlos Takem who's only about six feet tall, generally about 240 pounds. He's, he's a solid guy, but he's more short in squat for a modern heavyweight. Um, look, he's had a couple of, of good opponents that he's fought. He's come up short in those fights. He fought uh, Alexander Povetkin back in 2014. And I don't know if you guys remember that fight. That was in Moscow. All three judges had that fight even after eight rounds and that was where over in moscow where the uh, it was wbc it was a wbc i can't remember which sanctioning organization it was but their rules are such that after the fourth and eighth round the scores are announced so after the eighth round the scores are announced 76 76 all three ways alexander povetkin jumped on the gas drop tech him in the ninth round and a tenth round and stopped him but Given everything that's happened with Alexander Povetkin since that time and how different he's looked since he's been on full-time testing regimen with Vada, how he hasn't had a KO since, that loss to Povetkin is somewhat suspect. Now, he's fought, I think um, he fought Joseph Parker last May, Takam did, lost that fight, was competitive, but clearly lost. Uh, he's only fought twice since then, but both of those fights were this year. He fought in January, he fought in June, scored two KOs over nobodies, but at least he's been somewhat active. You compare that to another heavyweight fight that I'll talk about in a second between Deontay Wilder and Berman Stavern, I think that this Joshua Techam fight is a much, much better fight. going to be a much livelier um, crowd, and it's going to be a better fight inside the ring, ultimately. And look, Takem does a little bit more defensively, moves his head better than Pulev, so I think he's going to last more rounds. But he doesn't have the reach or the power to get to Joshua's chin and make anything interesting. He's basically going to stand there. It's basically how long can Takem stand there and avoid the big shots before he gets broken down, beat up, and knocked out. That's what that fight's going to be. Uh, Staying with the the heavyweights, though, in the UK, Tyson Fury tweeted some stuff, posted some stuff on social media, I think it was last week, announcing an April 2018 return and then a big fight in the summer, another big fight in the fall. Everyone I talk to uh, that's around there says that uh, Fury is well over 300 pounds. That's how he's looked the last few times I've seen him or seen any... uh, uh, interviews or anything with him, right? So uh, can he get down from 300, maybe 350 pounds to 250 by next April? I don't know. But the way this guy tweets, remember, it wasn't that long ago that he announced his retirement. As far as I understand it, before he can get licensed, he still doesn't have a boxing license over there. Uh, he would have to have this this hearing that's been put off a million times about the whole UCAD a drug test issue from before. Uh, so there's so much going on there. This guy just comes off as someone who is clearly bipolar. And I'm not saying that to put him down. I'm saying that because I'm concerned. This is an individual who clearly shows the signs of manic depressive, bipolar, borderline personality disorder, and probably needs serious mental help. So uh, Tyson Fury's comeback, I don't, let's not put much into that. And hopefully he doesn't come back because th- this guy has bigger, bigger problems than boxing. Okay, so sticking with the heavyweights again, the WBC has now mandated Deontay Wilder fight Berman Staverne for a second time November 4th. So I believe that's a week after we're going to see Joshua Pulev. So Wilder, who was just on the Showtime triple header broadcast, which uh, those, I'll review those fights later in this episode, last saturday mentioned possibly fighting anthony joshua he said that he'd like to do the fight but he doesn't think joshua is ready joshua has said in recent interviews he might want to delay that fight build it up more maybe to 2019 2020 i don't know if those two are ever going to fight but they're fighting within a week of each other against opponents nobody really wants to see him against but especially wilder i do think that this fight's just horrible so you guys know by now that Luis Ortiz failed a drug test by VADA. He actually tested positive for two um, banned substances that are in the blood pressure medication. He apparently has been taking for several years now. And this is all on him and his team because they did not disclose that. Guys, when you fill out a testing form, whether it's a regular State Athletic Commission, State Athletic Commission test or a VADA or USADA test, UCAD, whoever. On the form, there is a section where you fill out uh, your medical history, any history of this, that, and the other thing, high blood pressure, or vision problems, heart problems, cancer, whatever. But there's also a section where you're going to put uh, any medications that you're taking right now. And I know fighters that are so paranoid about getting popped for stuff that they literally put down if they drank coffee that day, if they've ingested caffeine, Um, if you've had energy drinks, any kind of supplements you're taking, you're supposed to put in there. If you are feeling stuffy that day and you took NyQuil or DayQuil or whatever, you're supposed to put that. Literally anything you can think of, you're supposed to list right there. And I find it hard to believe that a professional athlete and his team that have been medically prescribed by a doctor to take blood pressure medication. And apparently there was an incident uh, earlier this year, maybe it was late last year, I think it was earlier this year, according to Ortiz and his people, where he had he wound up in the emergency room at the hospital due to high blood pressure. If you have all those troubles and you're taking these blood pressure medications and you're being tested by VADA and you don't disclose that information and you have a history of failing a test before, it looks really bad. It looks really, really bad. So the WBC has said, due to the failed drug test and the fact that there was this medical emergency earlier this year, you have this high blood pressure problem, it's so bad that doctors are prescribing medication for you, out of safety, quote unquote, this is the WBC, out of concern for your health, we're going to take you off this fight and we're going to go with the mandatory which is Berman Stavern. Now let's talk about Stavern, all right? This fight with him originally Showtime said we're not paying for Wilder Stavern. Somehow Uncle Al, I don't know how they did it, but they worked out a deal Well now Showtime will this will be I think a triple header or at least a doubleheader, this will be the main event of it. So they are paying for it. Maybe it's a reduced rate. I don't know. I do know that Lou Bella has reduced tickets there at the Barclays Center. They've drastically reduced tickets. I think ringsides are $400. That might sound expensive, but I believe there are more that they were like twice that before. So they have adjusted prices and we all know there's going to be giveaways anyway. Um, so yeah, this is a triple header. I'm just looking here at my notes. It will headline a triple header, but Stavern mandatory. Now you go back to January of 2015. That's when Stavern had the title. He had won the title off of Chris Ariola. or I think uh, he beat him twice. That's right. I think it was for a vacant title. He beat him twice. And I don't believe he ever even defended that title. Uncle Al pulled some tricks. They were originally supposed to fight in 2014, but they got it delayed to 2015 so that there would be more money put up. And Wilder just whitewashes Stiverne, wins Wednesday, twelve-round decision. Um, Stavern looked pretty bad in that fight, and I think he had to be hospitalized after it. For I think it was for dehydration. He was in really really bad shape. Uh, did not put up a good performance. But Stavern had not been exactly living a Spartan lifestyle before that fight. Uh, as far as I understand, it, he had ballooned to over three hundred pounds before he fought Wilder. So uh, wasn't in the the best shape anyway. Either way, Wilder absolutely dominates wins all 12 rounds of a fight that was you know okay but it wasn't a great fight it wasn't bad but it wasn't great either. nobody needed to see it again. since that time Staver has fought once against journeyman Derek Rossi who is big he's a big guy but he's not very skilled, not very fast. For that fight stavern weighed well over 250 pounds. he was actually dropped in the first round and he barely won. I think it was a 10-rounder, and he won like six of 10 rounds. So he barely got by Rossi, and he hasn't fought in well over a year. Somehow he earns a mandatory position. All I can say is Don King still has major pull with the Suleiman family. He had major pull with Don, Don uh, Suleiman Sr., who ran the WBC forever. And I guess with Junior, uh, with Mauricio Suleiman He still has a lot of pull in that family, because I don't know how the hell the WBC can justify having Berman Stevern as the mandatory. Also on this card, Dominic Brazil will face Eric Molina. Remember, Dominic Brazil was originally going to fight Berman Stevern. The winner of that fight was going to get the winner of Wilder Ortiz. Now Dominic Brazil is fighting Eric Molina in a WBC title eliminator. Eric Molina is a guy that Wilder already fought and beat. So on this card, you have four heavyweights. Wilder has already fought and beat two of them. One of them is fighting Wilder again. The other is fighting for an opportunity to fight Wilder again. It's just disgusting. I just don't understand it, but I do feel Brazil will beat Eric Molina. I think he should clearly beat him. It's going to be a god-awful sloppy fight to watch. But I think it's going to be fun because both guys are going to land a ton of punches. And Eric Molina has shown some toughness. And we all know Brazil is tough. So either way, this is set up for Deontay Wilder to fight Brazil next, early next year. And look, say what you will about that fight. He gets another win. He gets another stoppage win against Brazil. I I would imagine they'll put that fight in Alabama. If they take that to Barclays, Jesus, I I don't understand it. But maybe it leads to an Anthony Joshua fight late next year. I really hope it would, but I don't see it happening. I I just The way Heyman has been doing business and the, the way Wilder's career has gone, I don't see it happening. Let's look at Deontay Wilder's title reign. I mentioned when he fought Steverne. January 2015, okay, so it's been over two and a half years going on three years now since he's had that WBC title. He's fought Eric Molina. We saw that fight. And Eric Molina All he's done since is go three rounds with Anthony Joshua. He fought uh, Johan Dwapas. He fought Arthur Spielke. He thought he fought Chris Ariola, who's had no fight since he's basically retired and he fought Gerald Washington, who most recently lost to Jarrell Miller. Now he's about to fight Berman Stevern again. So just a terrible, terrible Tiger reign. And there's really, look, I feel for Deontay Wilder in one respect because he has had some fights lined up with Povetkin and then with Ortiz that didn't happen because of drug testing. You cannot blame Deontay Wilder for that. But you can blame Deontay Wilder for everything else. So he's going to whitewash Staverne again. And then early next year, hopefully it's early next year, but the way the PBC goes about business, he might not fight Brazil until April, May, June. It should be February, March at the latest he should fight Stiverne. But hopefully by the end of next year, Wilder fights a top elite level heavyweight. It's about damn time. Let's move on. The WBO has mandated a fight between Billy Joe Saunders and David Lemieux. I love this freaking fight. I love this fight. And I hope that it can be brought to the New York area or to Montreal. I don't see that happening though. I think it's going to go to the UK. So David Lemieux is going to have to stamp that passport and go over there and fight Billy Joe Saunders. Both guys have been talking a lot of trash on Twitter. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders has been talking a lot, and so has David Lemieux. But if you remember, the last guy that talked a lot of trash to David Lemieux was Curtis Stevens, and that did not go so well for him. Now, Billy Joe Saunders is better than Curtis Stevens, but is he that much better? Because the difference between Saunders and Stevens, Stevens could actually crack. Saunders can't. Saunders can actually box. Stevens can't. So this is an interesting matchup. I think that if Lemieux comes in with the eye of the tiger, knowing that he's got to stop this guy to win, I I think we're in for a treat. Now they were talking about, uh, well, they have 30 days to reach a deal before it goes to purse bid through the WBO. From that point, they have 90 days to make the fight. So You've seen stuff on social media saying, oh, they're going to fight in December. Guys, that ain't happening. This thing is going to get pushed back to quarter one 2018 because that's how these things work. There's going to be more network money, more dates, more venue openings. So don't get your hopes up for a Saunders-Lemieux fight happening in 2017. It will happen probably around February, March 2018, which if all these fights that I'm talking about and I have been talking about in recent weeks Start coming together around that time, February, January to March. We're in for a very good quarter one 2018. I hope these things can happen. Um, Let's see. The minimum bid for the purse bid will be $200,000. I think that Frank Warren will put up more money than that. Golden Boy Promotions represents David Lemieux. If somehow they could put up more money than that and they could get the fight, it would be brought to Montreal, I think because I think he'd do good business there. But I do think it'll go over to the UK. Uh, Lemieux was hoping for Miguel Cotto. And a lot of people have been mentioning Cotto's name. i will talk about some, some others in a second. But honestly, this is the best thing that could happen for Lemieux. Uh, Miguel Cotto has a title at 154. There is no way Lemieux could make that weight. He struggles to make 160. He does not live a Spartan lifestyle outside the ring. I told you guys, I've seen Lemieux in Vegas literally an hour after knocking out an opponent out with his posse on the las vegas strip partying literally an hour afterwards so lemieux is one of those guys that gets in the ring does his business and then gets out there and lives his life so he doesn't live that spartan lifestyle it's going to be impossible for him to get under 160 pounds coda would have been bad news this is the best thing that could have happened for him and his best opportunity. And the winner of this fight between Saunders and Lemieux, you got to figure Canelo Golovkin, too, should happen in May. We we think it should happen around that Cinco de Mayo weekend. The winner of this fight is in the sweepstakes to fight the winner of that fight, depending on how it goes. So good stuff happening in the middleweight division. Uh, Sticking with Miguel Cotto, he's fighting Saddam Ali in Madison Square Garden on December 2nd, defending his WBO junior middleweight title. Ali is a Brooklyn-based fighter, career welterweight, was KO'd by Jesse Vargas last year, the upset special that I called right here on this show. Uh, And now he's going to be moving up to 154 pounds. Look, a lot of you hate this fight. And, And look, I understand. I get it. A lot of you don't like this fight, and you're mad at Miguel Cotto. I don't understand why you're mad at Cotto, though. Cotto and Golden Boy Promotions tried to arrange a three fight deal with Mikey Garcia. They, there were some brief talks with Lemieux, but he couldn't get down and wait. So that was a non factor. But they, Mikey Garcia had been calling out Miguel Cotto on social media and in several interviews, and they explored that option. They really did. But Golden Boy Promotions, who has been, they've seen Mikey Garcia screw over top rank in the past. And I'm not here to pick sides between Mikey Garcia and Bob Arum and Top Rank. I'm just saying Mikey Garcia did walk away from a deal there to get a different deal with someone else. Golden Boy Promotions doesn't exactly get along with Al Heyman, who advises Mikey Garcia, and they don't exactly trust Al Heyman after they got screwed by Richard Schaefer, who was working with Al Heyman, and Golden Boy all together at the same time, right? And they have seen Richard Schaefer align himself with Al Heyman uh, for years. So there's a lot of distrust there. And I, I think Golden Boy very reasonably went out to Mikey Garcia's team and said, look, let's do a three fight deal. You're gonna fight Jorge Linares first. Then you're gonna fight somebody like Lucas Matisse. Then you're gonna fight Miguel Cotto. So you're slowly gonna move up in weight and that third fight will be the cash-out fight for you, and you can go walk whatever you want to do. And it'll be the cash-out fight for us with Miguel Cotto. Second to Canelo Alvarez, Miguel Cotto is the second biggest draw of any fighters Golden Boy Promotions has. And as a matter of fact, Cotto is probably still one of the top draws in the sport because of his name, especially on the East Coast in the New York area. So this really made sense all the way. And it, it, look, at that would have been three fights everyone wanted to see. right? But Mikey Garcia and his team turned it down. They said they do not want a promoter. And that brings me to a point I wanted to make here. And this is actually a point that Steve Kim has made a lot of times. I've heard him say this. Uh, I've heard of, uh, several uh, people that I respect and look up to their work say, sometimes you got to have a promoter, guys. Yeah, at least when you're building up your career. Look at the biggest fighters in the world right now. Anthony Joshua, he has a promoter. Canelo Alvarez, he has a promoter. Miguel Cotto has a promoter. Gennady Golovkin has a promoter. I could keep going down the list. I'm talking about the biggest box office draws, the guys making the most money per fight, the guys making eight-figure paydays, or who have made eight-figure paydays. Now, there are a few guys who get to a certain level where they can promote themselves. Vladimir Klitschko became one. Uh, Floyd Mayweather became one. Those guys are rare, but they didn't get to that point until they had been built up by a promoter in their careers. And for Mikey Garcia to just think, he's just gonna, I, I don't know, promote himself and get to this point where he wants to be, it doesn't work that way. There's only so many fighters in the PBC universe he can go after And none of them are big stars. So I'm not saying Jorge Linares, Lucas Matisse are big stars, but those are big fights that people would like to see. And they'd build up the profile of Mikey Garcia, and they'd build up that fight with Miguel Cotto. And when that fight finally would happen, it'd probably be a pay-per-view and it'd probably be a a big blockbuster fight, probably take place in uh, Las Vegas and do good numbers. But now that's all out the window. And Mikey Garcia apparently is going to fight in January, February, but nothing's on the schedule at the time I'm filming this. So he's kind of doing this to himself, man. He's been calling out. I wouldn't have a problem with him telling Golden Boy to go screw themselves if he wasn't calling out one of their fighters. He's talked about Jorge Linares. He's talked about Miguel Cotto. He's talked about Vasiliy Lomachenko, who's with Top Rank. You think Top Rank is going to do business with Mikey Garcia unless he's willing to sign a two- or three-fight agreement with them after what happened between the two of them? Get real. So this guy is calling out a bunch of people that, politically, it's impossible for him to fight. It just looks kind of pathetic. And it's a shame because he's one of the most talented fighters in the world. All right, more upcoming fights. Miguel Burchelt versus Orlando Salido is scheduled for December 9th. That is a WBC 130-pound title fight. That's Burchelt's title. Look, Orlando Salido turned down a career-high payday to fight Vasily Lomachenko again. I've been very critical. He's turned down several fights, but he's fighting a killer, Miguel Burchelt. Maybe he sees something that he thinks he can exploit and he can grab that title, then go after Lomachenko or something like that and get even more money. I don't know, but I'm going to give him props here because He's fought a lot of tough guys, and Burchelt is no slouch. So props to Salito and props to Burchelt for taking on a rugged veteran that's not going to be an easy night at the office. That will be a fun fight. No doubt uh, HBO will close out the year strong with that one. Uh, Errol Spence is going to fight Lamont Peterson. No venue, no date, no network I imagine it will probably go to Showtime, but nothing announced because that's just the way Premier Boxing Champions does business. But we do know at some point in January, apparently, Errol Spence is going to fight Lamont Peterson. I do like that fight. Lamont Peterson is the second best uh, fighter so far that Errol Spence will have fought, and he will pose different stylistic challenges than Kell Brook brought forth. But this is a fight that should have happened a couple months ago. It shouldn't be happening next January. So it's a little bit disappointing that Errol Spence will only fight once this year. Look, I talked earlier about Anthony Joshua needing to fight twice this year. It was a career-defining year for him. Same thing with Errol Spence. Um, Actually, I think Errol Spence fought twice this year, maybe. My bad. Uh, I'm trying to think, did he fight early? Correct me if I'm wrong on that one, guys. It was either late last year or early this year before he fought Kell Brook. But either way, after that Kell Brook win, He needed another fight this year, and it's just a shame that he's not. But at least his next opponent will be a very, very good quality opponent. All right, that's it with the news and notes. Let's review the last two weeks of action from around the world. All right, let's start back two Saturdays ago, October 7th, over in Stuttgart, Germany. It was the World Boxing Super Series Super Middleweight uh, quarterfinals. Chris Eubank KO's Avni Yildirim In the third round, Yldirim hadn't fought anybody in his career, not anybody at that level, and it showed. Uh, Eubank clearly won all three rounds. He dropped Yldirim in the first round with a nasty uppercut. Uh, The Turkish fighter responded well, but it continued to be a very one-sided fight. And then in the third round, it was actually just a a combination that put him down for the count, and that was that. So now, um, Eubank advances. He's in the semifinals. We'll talk about his opponent in just a minute. I think that's going to be a really, really fun fight for the UK fight fans. Uh, speaking of UK, in Manchester, the same day, October 7th, Anthony Crawler wins a unanimous decision over Ricky Burns at 135 pounds. Look, at this stage of their career, Crawler just has more. That, that's the bottom line. He wins by the scores of 116, 113, 116, 114, 117, 112. Uh, this was a lightweight fight. Remember, um, going back a couple weeks when I was previewing that fight. I couldn't remember because Burns had been at 140 and Corolla had been at 135 and I didn't know, or maybe I have that backwards, but I didn't know if they were going up or down. But I think um, I think it was Burns that was, that was at 140 and was coming back down for this fight. But Corolla just had a little more energy, just did a little more throughout and clearly wins the fight. A fun domestic level matchup. It'll be interesting to see where he goes for here. For Burns, it's about time to think about hanging him up. He's, he's getting there. I, I'm sure he's going to fight a couple more times, but he's just no longer even at that title challenger level, in my opinion. Um, his best days are behind him. Needs to think about one or two more farewell fights, you know, that kind of thing, and then hanging him up. He's carved out a very good career for himself, gotten a lot out of his ability. For Crowla, He's in the mix maybe for a title shot at uh, lightweight. And there's, there's a lot going on in that division. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, the following week on Friday, October 13th, from the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California, it was another Golden Boy Promotions on ESPN card. Uh, two fun fights that kind of topped the bill or topped this card off. Um, Venezuelan Ismael Barroso scored a Sixth round KO over Fidel Maldonado Jr. Knocked him down in the third round and the sixth round. It was a body shot knockout. Nice body shot. Barossa approved to 21 and 2 with 19 knockouts. This was uh, him moving up in weight after a KO 7 loss to Anthony Crolla last May. And he was fighting, he's fighting at 140 pounds now. So, yeah. Um, coming off that loss, he said that he needed to move up in weight, looked a little better in this fight, looked fresher, gets the win in an exciting fight. So good for him. He moves on to bigger and better things. And look, that 140-pound division, of course, it's top-heavy with uh, Terrence Crawford, but he's going to be leaving that division. And when he leaves that division next year, moves up to welterweight, 140 is going to blow up, and there's going to be titles all over the place, and we're going to get some fun title fights. Let's see where Barroso ends up. Also on that card, Argentinian uh, Marcellino Nicolas Lopez upsets, minor upset maybe, KO2 win over Pablo Cesar Cano. It was a left-right combo that dropped Cano. He made it to his feet, but he was in bad shape and the ref just waved it off. Cano, most known for giving Pauli Malignaggi a tough fight in 2012. He lost a split decision. He dropped Malignaggi in that fight. Glenn Feldman had him winning 118-109, to 109, yet... Judges Tom Miller and Nelson Vasquez gave it to Pauli Malignaggi, 114-113, or seven rounds to five. Most people felt that that was a robbery. Most people felt that uh, Pablo Cesar Cano should have got that win. So Cano's been in with some good fighters, and that's why I say this is a minor upset. I think a lot of people thought that he had a real chance to win this fight over Lopez. But uh, KO2, just the way that this fight happened, it was over... uh, in an instant, almost, right? It was just a, not even five minutes in, the fight was over. So I think a lot of people saw this as a minor upset. But two fun, entertaining fights, uh, good matchups for a Friday night ESPN card from Golden Boys. So they did a pretty good job with that. Uh, last Saturday, October 14th, at Wembley Arena in London, George Groves, we go back to the Super 6, Uh, to the World Boxing Super Series. Ugh, I'm mixing those up there. Um, George Grove scores a TKO 4 over Jamie Cox, defends his WBA super, super middleweight title for the first time, and now he gets Chris Eubank in January. And that's the fight I was talking about before. But this was a a great body shot, and it, it was an odd kind of body shot because usually it's a left hand to the liver or a left hand to the ribs that gets guys out of there but the way they were angled i want to say groves was up on the ropes uh, and countering jamie cox and he shot a right hand but instead of going to the left side of cox's body he shot it more to the solar plex even more to the right side of cox's body and it kind of dug into the ribs from that opposite angle and it clearly clearly hurt cox he went down and could not get up He was counted out and that was it Um, I think he tried to get up but the ref called it off he was just in no shape Uh, just a great body shot win for Groves who was setting traps all along this fight Cox came out looking hungry he came out throwing a lot of punches he knew this was his big opportunity he had fought nobody so far in his career and apparently uh, back in the day Cox and Groves trained together a little bit so they were a little familiar with each other but Groves is so much more experienced and he's gotten, he's improved as a fighter. The losses against Frosch and everything have really taught him a thing or two. And he's really sitting back now and being more patient and looking at what he has to work with before he gets his shots off. And that's what I saw happening. A lot of people were getting excited in the first two rounds of this fight because Cox started so fast, but it was very, very clear to see that Groves was setting traps for him. And boom, in the fourth round, body shot, knockout. Now it's him and Eubank in January. Uh, Eubank and his father, junior and senior, were there. Um, They got up in the ring afterwards and they were interviewed and talking about the fight coming up. And there was a little respectful jawing back and forth between the two of them. But um, apparently, you know, they've had a look at each other before as well and there was some sparring and this and that but i think eubank really both these guys but especially eubank have grown and developed a lot more since that took place so early on i would say that i'm favoring eubank in that matchup i gotta think about it some more because groves is so experienced and he's seen so many different styles but eubank has that youth about him the volume punching. He is so much more athletic than Jamie Cox or really any of the guys Groves has been fighting lately and just younger and stronger. So I I see a scenario where if Groves doesn't get started early on and get Eubanks' respect, he just might get slowly broken down. That's the way I see it right now. But again, maybe I'll change my mind. We got some time before we get to that. But uh, same day. Other side of the pond, October 14th here in LA at the StubHub Center, it was PBC on Fox. And look, I feel like I'm always having to justify my criticism of premier boxing champions because some of you really get so butthurt over it. But guys, this was a horrible card. It was just a horrible card. And the StubHub Center is renowned among diehard fight fans for being a, almost like a sanctuary. And even when there's only 3,000 people there, 4,000 people there for a smaller event, the crowd is lit. They're screaming, they're happy, they're excited because they're seeing great stuff there. This was Abner Maris and Leo Santa Cruz, two guys who should have been fighting each other really a couple months ago. And they were originally supposed to fight, I wanna say it was back in August at Staples Center. Maybe it was September, but I think it was August. And it kept getting delayed. I'll talk more about that in a second, why that happened. But ultimately, they ended up being in these showcase matchups in front of a very sparse crowd. I, I haven't seen what the crowd was announced at, but all the way up until the sun went down just before the main event. So it was really hard to see during the main event how empty the place was. But during the MARS fight, which was the co-main, that place was empty, man. It looked like there was a couple thousand people there, and look, I talked about Jorge Linares versus Luke Campbell, the the last fight that I covered live. There was a Golden Boy card where there was two or three thousand people there. The difference was that with that fight, is people paid, and it was a pretty lively crowd. Uh, for this one, I don't know, man. Leo Santa Cruz does have a lot of fans, and a lot of his friends and family were there. He, I know for a fact he got several hundred tickets to give to friends and family and stuff. So. They made it pretty fun and exciting, I think, for some of the people there. But all right, let's talk about the actual fights. Abner Mares scores a technical decision uh, in the tenth round over Andres Gutierrez. The fight was stopped due to a cut. For the record, Abner Mares wanted the Leo Santa Cruz rematch, and he wanted it this summer, and he wanted it at a big venue like Staples Center, or even if it was going to go to a place like StubHub or the Forum, whatever. He wanted that fight. Leo Santa Cruz and his father wanted a tune-up fight, and that's why it didn't happen. So don't be mad at Abner Mares for going out and doing what he had to do. Uh, You you just can't blame this on him. So this was the first defense of Mares' WBA regular featherweight title, because we love the WBA and their multiple titles. Now, in the main event, Leo Santa Cruz scores an eighth-round stoppage over Chris Avalos. Avalos has been stopped multiple times, but always stopped in his feet. He's only been dropped once, I think, in his whole career, maybe twice. Doesn't get dropped a lot. So he does have a good chin, even though he gets stopped. This was Santa Cruz's first defense of his WBA super featherweight title. So, yeah, he wanted the tune-up. His, apparently his father wanted the tune-up. So this was a chance for Santa Cruz and Mare's to basically get paid. And for Santa Cruz to fight in front of a lot of his friends who drove out from the Inland Empire to come and hang out and party, that's basically what it was. I saw a bunch of people in the crowd that, you know, on the TV side of the crowd that's usually reserved for people paying hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for those ringside seats. And yeah, there's a row of them that's usually reserved for family, friends, and other fighters and stuff. It was just full of a bunch of friends. Because I know a lot of the people that were over there partying and stuff. It's kind of interesting to see. You know, for Leo Santa Cruz, I like him. Um, He's a good fighter. I think he has underrated skills. He's a good person. His family are wonderful people. They're really nice. But he kind of screwed over Carl Frampton. They kind of had a gentleman's agreement that, hey, remember, Carl Frampton won the first fight and came back to America to Las Vegas which was basically an offshoot of L.A., basically came to Santa Cruz's backyard for the rematch under the gentleman's agreement that the rubber match would be over uh, in, in Frampton's backyard. And Santa Cruz said, nah, nah I don't want none of that. I'm going to sit on my butt. I'm going to fight Chris Avalos. And now, early next year, you're going to see Santa Cruz and Maris again, unifying their WBA featherweight titles." So... Um, Their first fight was good. I was there. It was ringside. I covered it. Don't really need to see the rematch. Um, For what it's worth, I don't really need to see a rubber match with with, uh, Frampton, but I just think there's higher stakes. I would be interested in seeing a rubber match with Frampton if Santa Cruz went over across the pond. Then I'd be interested in seeing that one. But Santa Cruz and Maris in a rematch, if they put a nice co-feature on, if it's here in LA where I can drive right to it, I'll probably go cover that one. It was an entertaining first fight. But yeah, that's that, man. It just, just a nasty card that did not need to happen. It, for the PBC, it's one of the few cards this year since the first quarter that has been off of Showtime. And you're on Fox. And this is what you put on. Yeah. All right. Barclays Center, Brooklyn. Really great triple header, junior middleweight triple header that was on uh, Showtime. Let's get right into it, man. Jared Hurd scores a retirement, 10th round retirement win over Austin Trout, defends his IBF title for the first time. Trout started great, like we thought he would. He started even better than we probably thought he would. He had a great start, uh, was ahead halfway through this fight. A lot of people, most people, had it four rounds to two for Trout after six rounds. Some people had it five rounds to one maybe a few of you had it three rounds apiece, but I think that Trout was clearly ahead halfway through. The difference was every shot Hurd landed, pushed Trout back, and I tweeted about that. Every shot Trout landed, it may have stopped Hurd in his tracks, but it never pushed him back. And you could just see the difference in size and strength. I have no idea how Jarrett Hurd makes 154 pounds. It's not gonna be long before this guy's in the middleweight division, which is gonna make the middleweight division even more fun But for right now, he's kind of a weight bully. Kind of reminds me of Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. when he was at middleweight. Just finding guys that were so much smaller than him. He could just eat every punch they threw. And even if he wasn't coming back with the most fundamentally sound repertoire offensively himself, he'd eventually wear him down and get him out of there. And that's what this was. He became the first man to stop Austin Trout. Heard size and power were just obvious throughout. Um, Look, Jarrett Hurd is very limited. His footwork is, is bad. It's sloppy. His jab is at times non-existent. He started throwing it more in the sixth, seventh, eighth round, you know, going into the later rounds of the fight. He has very little head movement. He could do a lot better with a lot of that stuff. This year, 2017, he's fought nine rounds against Tony Harrison and 10 rounds against Austin Trout, right? 19 rounds against two good, fundamentally sound fighters who don't hit very hard and who tire out later in fights. He arguably lost eight or nine of those rounds though against those two. And he was able to come back in those fights because of his size, his power, his strength. What happens when he fights a guy who can really crack? What happens when he fights a guy like Charlo? That will be interesting. Uh, let's give a little appreciation to Austin Trout here. This guy has fought Canelo Alvarez, Miguel Cotto, Erislandi Lara, Charlo Jermel, one of the Charlers, I can't remember which one, and now hurt He's fought some really good fighters, and he's always been competitive. He's always given an honest effort. I hate that he sat in the shell for so long and kind of sat in, in a... a just in the middle of nowhere, just floating. In in between the fight, I think it was with Lara and Charlo. There was a couple years there where he just didn't fight anybody of note and was being kind of wasted. His best years were kind of wasted. But he got out there in in a fight where uh, he was picked to lose and he gave an honest effort. I think that Trout and fighters like him, who always give an honest effort and are always competitive and, and try their hardest, Uh, We need more of them in boxing. I saw a lot of people dissing Trout on Twitter and stuff like that after this fight and making fun of his swelled-up eye and some people saying he quit on his stool. That's not what happened, by the way. The doctor stopped it. Multiple times, the ref asked Trout if he wanted to continue, and he said he wanted to. He didn't quit, guys. The ref stopped it, and it was the right thing to do. Trout had no business being in there after the 10th round. He was getting beaten down. But um, why are you making fun of this dude? We need more guys like him in boxing. Not everyone can be a a dominant elite level world champion. You need that guy who's willing to go in there and take challenges and fight a young gun like Jarrett Hurd at this stage of their career to to find out if Jarrett Hurd is for real or not. So we need more Austin Trouts. Why diss him? I I just don't get it. All right, now in the second fight, Jermell Charlo scores a first-round knockout over Erickson Lubin, defends his WBC title for the second time. They were both swooping in together. Um, actually, it was more Charlo diving in. And Charlo is a, a righty. So, and Lubin's a lefty. So Lubin was here and he kind of ducked down with his head. I think it was uh, Charlo shot a left hand, came, came in with a jab and missed it. But when Lubin bent down, he bent he, he broke so many laws, so many fundamental rules that you're not supposed to break in boxing. He put his head down, he dropped his right arm, not just the right hand, the whole right arm. He bent over at the waist and he closed his damn eyes. So when Charlo saw that, he was coming in straight for a right hand. He said, whoa, wait a second. He knew that he was just going to hit the top of his head. He adjusted that shot to like kind of a half hook, half uppercut, what we call a 45 and put it right into Lubin's chin. And Lubin never saw it coming. It was in completely wrong position and was done. He tried to get up. You could see his arms and legs going. He he was trying to get up, but he was so badly concussed and knocked out, he couldn't do it. And that was it. And what looked like it could be a really interesting fight um, was done in a flash. Now, Lubin's only 22 years old. He clearly wasn't ready for this fight. And I've seen a lot of you guys talking about that. But it's funny how boxing fans are. Because it just seems like if this fight didn't happen and Lubin sat on the shelf and kept fighting nobody's because he's really fought nobodies, a lot of you guys would be saying, oh, he's just another protected fighter. He don't want to fight nobody. Here it is. He's only 22. He's not ready for this challenge, but he takes a big challenge. He gets knocked out, and now you guys are saying, oh, his people let him down. He was too young, for too, not ready for that challenge. Guys, which one do you want? You can't have it both ways. Now, for me, somewhere in the middle on this. <laughs> you know me, middle ground Montero, always going right down the middle. Uh, he had fought nobodies. Nobodies. And then he moves up to Charlo. Maybe before Charlo, He should have fought a top 10, top 15 rated junior middleweight. Then fought Charlo. I love the fact that this 22-year-old kid went right at probably the best fight. Not not even probably. I'm going to say it right now. The best fighter in the division. He went right at him. I love that. We need more of that in boxing. Particularly in the PBC in American boxing. We need more of that. But his team should have said, pump the brakes. Let's do it early next year. Let's close out the year with one fight against a top 10 rated guy just to get you over the hump, just to get you a few more rounds in with an experienced veteran, even if it was Ivanis Martirosian, somebody like that, Martirosian, a guy who's going to do just enough to lose against you because that's what Martirosian does, and then go to Charlo early next year. That's where I sit with it. Somewhere in the middle, okay? But I I do love the fact that he wanted to go and fight this guy. Look, both Charlos have really developed. They're working with separate trainers right now, but that gym, they got some good things happening there. Uh, I know that they're working with Errol Spence, and I'm telling you guys, that scene down there in Texas, that's a building, growing boxing scene. It's not gonna become the next LA. LA is still king. But what they're doing down there in Texas, they're building up some real prospects into contenders and now into champions. I like what I see from Errol Spence. I like what I see from both Charlos. Those three guys are the future and they're gonna keep building more fighters down there in Texas. Um, Okay, a lot of you guys have talked about the Charlos playing the bad guy role, not liking it. I understand. And there was a brawl between the camps, right after the fight, Lubin, somebody on Lubin's team threw a chair at Jermal Charlo, Jermel's brother, right there by the ring, and then after the fight, down by the locker room area, I think, or maybe he was out in the lobby somewhere, uh, Charlo's people came in and rushed Lubin's people, and there was an all-out brawl, a real fisticuffs right there in the arena, on the outside of the arena. Uh, I've had friends who were there, my friend Scotty from Detroit, he flew out there. He's a former pro fighter. He goes to a lot of the fights, particularly in New York, because that's, you know, hop, skip, and a jump from Detroit. It's a quick flight. He went over there to check it out, and he saw it. Him and his wife were there and saw it happen in front of their eyes. So I don't know what it is about these PBC fights. We've seen stuff like this happen now. Uh, I think there was an issue like this at a Broner fight. We had the sucker punch in D.C. earlier this year. We had uh, the melee at the hotel lobby after Deontay Wilder's last fight. Something's going on on the PC where these fighters are not being advised very well. Again, not trying to make this an anti-PBC episode, but when you see a trend, hey, these guys need better advisement, okay? The Charlos. I understand that they're playing this bad guy role. I understand that a lot of people want to make comparisons to, let's say, somebody like Adrian Broner. The difference is, Adrian Broner's bad guy image, I do think a lot of it was played up just for the cameras, but he was an idiot outside of the ring. It affected his training. He blew up in weight. He's got a million kids by a million different women. He's got a rap sheet. The Charlos play this bad guy role, and they're pricks, they're arrogant pricks to everyone, and they kind of play this us versus the world thing. Some people like it, some people hate it, but here's the thing. Love it or hate it, it hasn't affected their boxing. From all accounts I've received, these guys work their butts off in the gym. They continue to improve. So far, hasn't affected their life outside the boxing ring, hasn't affected their life inside the boxing ring, not to an extent where it's costing them their career or anything, like Broner or so many other fighters. So at this point, I really don't give a damn. Let them play the bad guy role. Let them be complete jerk offs. If their fights are exciting and they keep drilling dudes like this, and they keep improving, whatever, man. We need villains in boxing. And a lot of times the villain roles played up, I don't think these guys are playing. That's just how they are. They're just those kind of people. Now in the quote unquote main event, and I have to quote unquote it because it was horrible, Erislandi Gush- Lara wins a unanimous decision over in 12, all 12 rounds, over Terrell Gouche defends his WBA title for the fifth time. As soon as this fight began, actually right before it began, people left the arena. And I'm not just saying a couple, I'm saying over a thousand left the arena. And a lot of you tweeted pictures and videos of it, but it was also evident watching it through the TV because the crowd was dead silent. In fact, there were people counting down at the end of each round. And during the last round, people were counting down and applauding when the fight was over. That's how many people disliked this fight. Crazy, man. Gouche gets dropped in the fourth round and Lara goes on to win this whitewash decision. Why even read the scorecards? Let's talk about Irizlani Lara for a second. Look, people make comparisons to Guillermo Rigondeau, and I think that's justified, but then they make comparisons to other fighters, other quote-unquote boring fighters like Floyd Mayweather, Bernard Hopkins, Vladimir Klitschko. How do those comparisons hold up? I don't think they do. Because, see, there's a big difference between guys like Irizlandi Lara, Guillermo Rigondeau, those types, and then Floyd Mayweather, Bernard Hopkins, Vladimir Klitschko, okay? Mayweather, Hopkins, Klitschko cleaned out a division. Well, Mayweather didn't clean out a division. Let's stick with Hopkins and Klitschko because I think they're actually very comparable for their accomplishments and everything. They both cleaned out divisions. Hopkins got more signature opponents, obviously, than Klitschko, but... Uh, Klitschko fought often enough to wear any unified titles, and he occasionally got guys out of there, and he fought the best available competition that was willing to get in the ring with him, and he built a brand. He packed stadiums with 50,000 plus people. He did massive TV ratings in multiple countries. Bernard Hopkins, Floyd Mayweather fought in boring defensive styles, but they won massive titles. They fought massive cards, pay-per-view events. They packed arenas, whether it be in Las Vegas or or for Hopkins, he's packed arenas in several different places. Guillermo Rigondo and especially Arizandi Lara, they just look flat-out disinterested, like they don't want to be there. And there are times where it looks like they could get their opponent out of there. It looked like Lara could get Gouche out of there. He just didn't even try. That's why fans boo them and walk out of the arena. And these are people who are getting free tickets to go to this fight and they're still leaving the arena. That's the difference, man. So you could be a boring, dull, defensive-minded fighter and still accomplish great things in the sport and be a dominant champion that is seen as an all-time great. Floyd Mayweather, Bernard Hopkins, Vladimir Klitschko. Or you could be a defensive-minded, boring fighter that doesn't do those things and just squeaks by, just barely does enough in your career to make a little bit of money. That's going to be be Guillermo Rigondo, and that's going to be Irizlandi Lara. So hopefully we see the winners of these three fights fight each other. Uncle L's had the titles at 154 long enough. It's about time these guys unify.